Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Live Life Liberated with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. Today, I've got Derek Myron running the show. And Derek, you've got a guest on the show today, right? Rick Calderon, Managing Director at Moss Advisors, LLC. Right on. All right. Why did you bring him on the show? Rick specializes in a particular area of planning that uh, we find to be very, very crucial to our uh, high net worth uh, families. And so uh, with that, Rick, uh, welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on the show. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your firm and your background, and then we'll get into our topic today. Sure. So um, my firm is uh, specializing in tax-efficient investing. I particularly spend time on private placement life insurance. I design and implement investment accounts. I administer what we call insurance-dedicated funds. And I serve the high net worth, ultra high net worth, um, their trusts, the family offices. My background is I'm a lawyer. Um, I, I received my degree at University of Pennsylvania, undergraduate degree at Binghamton University, which is part of New York SUNY system. And I started my career in the mid 80s with a law firm called Hale and Door, which is uh, now known as Wilmer Hale. So I'm dating myself a little bit here. But uh, I've held a, a lot of senior legal compliance and business roles at uh, two big major diversified uh, financial services firms, uh, Massachusetts Mutual Life and Hartford Life. I left Mass about 11 years ago, at which time I was a senior managing director, chief operating officer, and chief risk officer for uh, the international operations. I founded Mass about, uh, oh, now seven years ago. And... Um, Again, we specialize uh, in all alternative assets and tax efficiency, and we work extensively with uh, the high net worth, family offices, and, and other advisors. So what was the impetus that led you to leave the big, cushy insurance company positions to go found a registered investment advisor catering to the ultra-high net worth, specifically around private placement life insurance? Yeah, I, I left after uh, the uh, capital market started to collapse in 2009 and the amount of capital necessary to um, uh, run international operations was not what it had been before. There was a contraction uh, overall, but my experience uh, in the years that I had been there always um, led me to find interesting investment solutions to problems. And I took that with me and brought it to the business that I run now. Fantastic. So can you describe for me and the audience, who is the ideal client who should consider private placement life insurance? What are the facts and uh, profiles of the ideal client that should consider private placement life insurance? Well, by, by way of answering that, I think the first thing to understand is that PPLI is really a low-cost, institutionally-priced uh, insurance uh, product with, with low fees, no surrender charges, the ability of owners to access a wide range of qualified investment options that are not available in the retail market. For So the right customer is someone that wants to achieve tax efficiency, uh, wants to do it in a smart way, values the, the insurance component of it, 
and um, is an accredited investor and often a qualified purchaser. Okay. And a qualified purchaser, the definition of that is? Somebody with $5 million in assets to invest. And often these are not individuals, they're trusts. Um, almost always, nearly 100% of our clients are, are, are trusts when, they, uh, when we get involved with uh, advising on private place and life insurance. Um, and so we're, we're speaking about family offices and, and their clients often. Okay. So I understand you're, you're describing two needs. It's, it's on, on the one hand is the family who wants to get efficiency on certain investments. And I gather that you're talking about tax efficiency because of the inside buildup inside of a life insurance policy. You don't pay income tax as investments turn over and generate capital gains or ordinary income. It shields that investor from uh, incurring that taxable event. On the other hand, uh, I hear you spoke about death benefits. <clears throat> Perhaps the investor values at the end of the day that this investor, the cash that's in this life insurance policy, they're going to receive a death benefit, which again is not taxable, uh, income taxable. Can you tell us the facts and circumstances of uh, kind of just talk about the, the history of the market, how long it's been around? Who are the players? Um, kind of give us a little history on the on the market. Sure, P PPLI has been around for um, over three decades. My own exposure commenced around 1990 in what was called the corporate-owned life insurance space, and and then I moved quickly into the individual ultra-high net worth space. Um, from a regulatory perspective, PPLI is just variable life insurance. It's it's not a special part of the tax code. It it um, is not. Um, provided with any special benefits. It's the Internal Revenue Code sections 101, 7702, and 817. What, what makes PPLI special is that low-cost structure and the ability to invest in alternative asset classes at, at institutionally priced asset classes, I might mention, um, that you don't find in retail offerings. Um, the market um, size is difficult to estimate because there's no specific breakout for PPLI. Um, it is part of uh, variable life sales. But Estimates, estimates really range into the tens of billions of assets under management. Um, and I know the market is active. I've been part of it for quite some time since the early 90s. Um, and so it's a significantly large market. And it's currently being served um, by uh, um, U.S. firms like Zurich, which is a large multinational, Lombard, which is part of the Blackstone family, uh, Prudential, which is you know, certainly a household name. Um, smaller players, uh, and one we work with and like quite a bit is Investors Preferred Life. And there are many, many specialty firms that are offshore that um, have lower cost and often offer you greater policy design. Um, so those, that's kind of the background on who, who those players are in, in that space. Uh, and this is all supported by really large um, asset management firms. So household names like MFS, Alliance Bernstein, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, BlackRock, PIMCO, Leg Mason, the list goes on and on. They all have large funds that they manage and make available to, to these investors. So we, we utilize a lot of those, those vehicles. So... Is it fair to say that um, those firms, Prudential, all those different life insurance companies that you mentioned, um, I've often heard that 
they've got retail offerings and then this they kind of dubbed the, the PPLI offering is the wholesale offering where the margins are less and they offer these products but they it's not their core line of business is that accurate for those insurance carriers for some of them it's not uh, for others it is for Lombard for instance it is the, it is part of their core offerings um, but you're absolutely right um, that this is not retail insurance it doesn't come with high commissions um, the fee structure is uh, one that's designed for credit investors who are very price sensitive. Um, and since there's no commission structure, there's there's no costs that um, are incurred by a client who wants to surrender their contract. There's no there's no fee associated with that. There aren't a lot of bells and whistles like you find in retail contracts. And so it's really a smart way of of, of um, uh, playing in this in this space, uh, uh, but some of the larger companies, this is a niche niche play for them. They that's part of a large diversified group of businesses they have. So Prudential and Zurich certainly fit into that category. Um, but there are plenty of players in this space that that are dedicated solely just to PPLI. Okay, can you walk us through the mechanics of a sample transaction? Um, give us some facts and circumstances, and just kind of walk us through the mechanics. Yeah, so nearly all all discussions about PPLI um, commence with understanding what the investment universe is. And while I've mentioned plenty of big household names that participate in this, there's also a lot of what we call insured, insurance-dedicated fund vehicles, typically private funds that are unregistered. Um, and there are some very large uh, private credit funds, hedge funds that, um, that we like uh, in that space. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention funds like Gallup Capital, uh, Millennium Global Estate, two of our favorites, really um, perform exceedingly well um, and give you uh, less volatility than you'd find uh, if you participated in the markets. But there are a number of other smaller firms um, and funds that are growing. And so that's where the discussions begin. They begin around, well, what's what's out there? What, you, know, you tell me that PPLI is great because it has more investment options, but what are those investment options? So that's where we start. And then we um, need to understand how the PPLI contract uh, uh, would work um, when you start to hold all these various assets. And we start to get into the uh, bit more nitty gritty. How much do you want to invest? Um, what's your age? What's your health status? And then we start to develop financial projections based on what we know and see if it makes sense for you. Um, and I like to say, this is all about the math. Um, there's really no emotion involved here. It's just making sure that the numbers are going to be attractive to you and that it's worthwhile. But if you're in, um, uh, if you're somebody who is, uh, has good health, um, and, um, you have, uh, uh, some liquidity, uh, in order to invest, it's something that's worthwhile exploring. Yeah, I think that many of our clients believe that taxes are on sale today, but with what's happening with the federal government deficits and state government deficits, that they expect that tax rates will continue to increase. And the subject of private placement life insurance is becoming front and center more frequently and a, a solution that clients want to hear about. Are you finding the same? I'm absolutely finding the same. Um, there's certainly been increased interest, um, and that interest continues to grow. Uh, we're um, in a time now where um, tax rates are 
are are pretty good, but um, I don't think anyone believes we're going to be staying in these same marginal tax rates. So uh, PPLI becomes one of those tools that's available to you to to try to manage um, the inevitable increase in taxes in, in an efficient way. Yeah, I think the power of PPLI is this uh, compounding, not, you know, this being able to defer paying taxes on these investments and the numbers with this compound growth over 10, 15, 20 years. It's staggering how much when you take the tax man out of the way, what the numbers look like. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and the thing with PPLI that's so frustrating a little bit for those of us involved in it is um, we always are asked the question, why don't I know about this? Um, why didn't I hear about this? And often because of the fact that um, in, it's an insurance product, people get turned off to, to listening to it. And since it's not commission-based, or there is a commission, but it's exceedingly low and it's, and it's optional depending on who's the salesperson providing the support, it doesn't get the amount of attention uh, it deserves. Um, but I see all that changing. I see the growth in the advisory channels, the growth in the family offices, um, estate planners, lawyers, accountants, um, all these various individuals are learning more and more about PPLI. They know it's out there and they know it's a tool. Okay. So you said at minimum that the investor needs to be a qualified purchaser with assets north of $5 million. When do you see when clients are willing to uh, put a private placement life insurance transaction in place? How much money would they need to be dedicating at a minimum to set one a structure up? Well, let's actually back up. You can actually be an accredited investor, which is much lower threshold. So if you're a qualified purchaser, it brings you access to a lot of more interesting investment options, but you can actually be an accredited investor, which is far less uh, lower threshold. In terms of assets, uh, you need a million dollars in assets exclusive of your residence. And there's also an income test. And that income test is oh, 300000 if you're a married couple for the last three years with the expectation that's going to continue. So you can be an accredited investor. You can participate as an accredited investor. And there are companies that are willing to take um, investments on um, a private placement variable annuity for two hundred and fifty to 500000 is sort of their minimums. Um, but if you're trying to build out a private place and life insurance plan, um, you, you really thinking about investing in excess of a million dollars. And many companies um, expect that you're going to have a million dollars. And, and again, to access some of the really interesting investments, being a qualified purchaser means you have to have net worth in excess of $5 million. doesn't mean you need $5 million to invest. It just means that's what you need in order to qualify to get access to some of these more interesting investments. Um, so if I had, say, 2 to $5 million net worth, um, I had a million, million and a half, two. That's sort of the, the baseline in terms of who should be thinking about it. Truth be told, we, we often end up with, with um, clients that have multiples of those um, kinds of numbers that they wish to invest. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's not available for those with less. Yeah, so we often run into uh, new clients and when we are deconstructing their cash flow and their income tax situation and whether it be private credit or other investments that throw off ordinary income taxation we ask well why isn't why aren't those investments wrapped so you can continue to defer that and when you can always tell by their eyes like why hasn't anybody told me that back to your statement 
why are you guys paying? You're not consuming this money. Why aren't you paying taxes on this, these passive investments that are just throwing off this ordinary income? Getting those kind of investments into a structure where you can continue to defer taxation on those makes a whole lot of sense. Well, Derek, that's that's what we find because we work with so many um, clients that are looking to um, provide wealth transfer to Gen 2 and Gen 3. And um, they're just not doing it in an efficient way. And it doesn't mean you should be allocating 100% of your assets that are going to be going to Gen 2 and Gen 3 through using PPLI, but you'd be remiss if you didn't explore it and see if it made sense for you. Um, and and with uh, it's part of a pop, proper, complete, thoughtful estate plan. Okay, let's uh, jump into a case study. Um, I know that you've shared with me that the a uh, husband that's 60 and a wife that's 50 and they have 15 million to invest and uh, they want to pass this wealth on to G- generation two and they don't really need the returns on this money. They really want to get this money down to the next generation and they don't want to pay income tax. Can you share with us what that could potentially look like for this couple? Sure. So um, th- those are great ages. Um, husband 60, uh, wife 50, um, we would ask about their general health and, and um, we'd probably gravitate to the wife or we could do a plan where we would split it between the husband and wife. But um, because the wife is younger, um, uh, the cost will be less, um, the ability to defer more um, will be greater. And so for somebody like that, we would offer two different possibilities. If you had 15 million and you wanted to invest it all at one time, and you were really focused on giving this to Gen 2 and Gen 3, meaning you weren't seeking to tap this money in any way during your lifetime, then we would recommend that you, you invest it all at once using what is commonly called a, a MEC structure. Um, and that would afford you um, by your life expectancy, and we'll just use age 89, although truth be told, for someone who's 50 now, they're a woman who's 50, her life expectancy is probably going to be into the early 90s. But let's just use 89. Um, At 89, you get a 6.3 internal rate of return cash on cash, uh, assuming a 7% um, uh, interest return. So if you were trying to get a 7% investment return, um, we're telling you that you're getting only a 70 basis point drag um, by age 89. That's just tremendous. So in terms of numbers, if you took the same 15 million and grew it in a taxable account, that would by age 89 grow to 77 million. And if you did that in a PPLI account, that would grow to 173 million. You know, that's a staggering 95 million in savings, just cash on cash. And if you add the additional death benefit that comes with it, that brings you up to a 105 million benefit that you get over keeping that money in a taxable account. Um, and that's just phenomenal. And that's the kind of thing that you can do uh, with PPLI. It it's, um, gives you the, those options. So it's the power of compounding. So let me just, let me just uh, sum up what you said. What I heard you say was for 0.7%, so 70 basis points per annum, you get two benefits. You get the power of compounding annually as these investments turn over annually, you're not paying tax. So that, that was the 95 million going from 77 million to 173 million. And then in addition, 
upon Mrs. Uh, to pass passing away at 89, you're getting an additional $10 million of death benefit. And that death benefit allows all of this money to pass free of any income tax to generation two and generation three. That's right. So did I, did I get that right? You did. And, um, but you can do it in another way. And, and the other way is, well, I, 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 maybe I want to tap some of this cash in the future. We're typically talking about tr- trusts. And so maybe the trustee needs to tap some of this cash in the future. So we structure in a slightly different way. Instead of taking all the $15 million at once, we take it over three years. And by doing so, by age 89, instead of a 6.3% internal rate of return, we, we get 6.11% uh, internal rate of return. Uh, and again, that's phenomenal. Um, and so your taxable account um, would then uh, grow versus your PPI account um, so that you'd have a 77 million tax savings. You know, that, that compares pretty favorably with the 95 million that you'd had if you invested it all at once. Um, um, you know, not as good, uh, but it's still pretty, pretty darn good. And um, when you add the death benefit on top of that, that jumps to 92 million. So that's a, that's another just phenomenal um, uh, alternative. And it's, it's, it's just 89 basis points is what it's costing you. And the difference between these two scenarios, scenario one is I don't need the money. This is a death benefit only. It's going to go to generation two and generation three. And scenario two is, well, just in case I may need to access some of this money, you've designed it this way where the fees are slightly higher. Is that accurate? That's right. So, I mean, in terms of taxes, um, both a MEC and a non-MEC structure, the single premium, multiple premium, give you the ability to have tax deferral and there's no tax recognition when transferring among investment options. And you get the, 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 the death benefit tax-free to the beneficiaries. The advantage of paying it out over over three years is you get you can take tax free policy loans and you can take withdrawal of your assets up to originally your basis, and you can also pledge the contract as collateral for other loans. Something you can't do with a with, with a the single pay type contract. Can you define MEC? You've used that word. What is a MEC? It's a modified endowment contract, um, and it is a form of life insurance but not one that's, that most people should be use, utilizing, just those that have a desire in terms of leaving wealth to the next generation and don't have a need to access that cash and won't have a need to access the cash that's going to be going in, into the contract. Okay. So lots of fantastic ways to defer or eliminate income tax uh, inside of a MEC, uh, many different ways to design it. Tell the audience what could go wrong. What have you seen go wrong? What to what to watch out for? Um, so the things that you have to be careful uh, about in PPLI is volatility. Um, I, I worry about um, those who want to be speculating w- with PPLI. It's not for speculators, um, and it's not for taking excessive uh, risks. Um, and the reason that is, is because it throws off all your projections. We, we don't like uh, one year to be you to be up 20 and the next year to be down 30 and then the next year to be up 15. It makes it very lumpy um, and the projections are, are not good. We really like to see um, 
good risk-adjusted returns with limited volatility, which is why we're often attracted to private credit strategies, market-neutral uh, fund strategies with absolute returns. Um, those things um, have great appeal to us. I can understand that. You, uh, as as the investment accounts go down, the cost of the insurance, uh, the net amount at risk could go up, and so having the stable returns to make these projections about what the costs are going to be and what your expectations as total values are going to be, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that's a traditional way of doing it. There, there is an alternative that you can do if you want to have a permanent. Um, strip of insurance, and that will diminish some of those risks. Um, uh, and again, that's not for everybody, but that's also something that is worth exploring. And we explore all these kinds of options for you uh, in terms of risk mitigation. It may cost a little bit more upfront to have that permanent strip of insurance, but it brings you a lot of benefits at the end. Any other than volatility, what are the other things that, that uh, a buyer should be aware of? Well, you, you, there are some limitations that um, a uh, prospective owner needs to be aware of, and, and there's something called investor control. And, and, and if you violate this investor control, you're, you're going to invalidate um, the tax benefits of your contract. And, and essentially what investor control is, you can't, you can't choose a specific equity security that you're looking for or a specific fund unless it's in a structure that is in a compliant qualified vehicle like we've been talking about, these insurance dedicated fund structures. And so you can't simply say, um, oh, I'd like to invest in Apple and I'd like to do it specifically through my insurance contract. You can't do that. But you can allocate to a strategy that um, is uh, um, one that focuses on um, technology and high growth and uh, that and that will invariably um, hold securities such as such as Apple, but you're not picking that individual underlying security. And so that's known as investor control and you can't do that. Fair enough. Rick, this has been very, very valuable information. Thank you very much. Do you have any final thoughts in closing today? Yeah, my, my final thoughts is I, I like to say that PPLI is really the most intelligent way to not just acquire insurance, but to invest tax efficiently. And I think it's part of everyone's um, plans that they should consider uh, when contemplating um, a tax, tax efficient investing. Fantastic. How do our listeners get a hold of you, Rick? Well, they can um, send me an email at R. Calderon, C-A-L-D-E-R-O-N, at MASAdvisorsllc.com. Uh, you can also ring me on my, uh, on my line in Miami at 786-364-3106. Rick, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this information. Eric, why don't you take us out? Rick, thank you so much for being a fantastic guest today. I learned a ton. As usual, Derek always brings on the best guests. So I really appreciate your time today, Rick. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And of course, Derek, thank you so much for arranging this and bringing him on the show. Obviously, you guys were the two smartest ones in this room, and I appreciate learning from you. Thank you both. And you guys have a fantastic 4th of July weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you both real soon. Absolutely. And please, please, both of you stay safe. And the same goes for you, all you listeners out there. I, well, you're listening to this after the 4th of July, and hopefully you're able to start the podcast with all your fingers. So that's great. Uh, again, thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory.
If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Centura Wealth Advisory, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results.